Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Jason, I'm pretty sure you know this now, but I want to make sure. Did you know that Budget Blinds is your home for signature series shades? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that an all hail. Well, I'm waiting for you to finish it. Our robot shade overlords. There you go. Are you happy now? I'm happy now. I feel good. good. Hey, look, look, spring is finally here. This week has been so good. I actually moved my office to the porch a couple of times this week and sat out there. I opened some windows. And that means if you're opening windows, you know what you have to do? You've got to move your window treatments. You've got to move your shades. So why don't you get some robot shade signature series shades from Budget Blinds? And you can do that from your phone. I know. It's the best place to go to your home as you're doing your spring cleaning. You're getting it ready for the new spring and summer months that are coming. And here's how good those folks are at Budget Blinds. They're even there to help out those people who decided to live on the other side of the state line. They've got a new storefront opening in Overland Park. That's happening in May. Jason, they're there for the people. They are there for the people, even the people who were wrong. So if you are ready to make your home a smart home, go visit our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Tell them Jason and Nick met you. Hello again, and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I am Jason Norbert, and as always, I am joined by a man who has finally recovered from his case of election fever. It is Nick Parker, the publisher of Link to Lee I had a fever. It was multiplying. It was. It was something else. And and Cowbell was not the cure. Although, no. honestly, that would have been more entertaining than the election <laughs> itself uh, there. Link to Lee Summit, the source for all the news you need about our very fine city. And our unofficial sponsor today is The Shot. I'm getting mine, Nick. Oh, I can see it. A return to the town hall studio. It, it's we, happening. We might be able to small group of vaccinated people in the same room together to uh to record a podcast again it'll be something else i i have to say this for sure man i've missed that <laughs> just so much so much so much hey one quick note before we get to the election results i know a lot of people you know they they, they saw our posts uh on tuesday night as the election results came in but we're going to go over them really quickly uh a fast note just a reminder, folks, the downtown Lisa Farmer's Market, it reopens this weekend. Saturday is the day. And for now, it's still going to be held out at uh, in the parking lots of our friends at Abundant Life Church. Until I'm, I'm, It's going to be there this year. And who knows, it may be in the future until the city gets around and builds us our Farmer's Market pavilion that the mayor has promised well, us. I want it now. It might come back. It might come back a little sooner, but the the big thing right now is we're still operating under the county's distancing rules for events, so there's just not enough room for all of the vendors in the downtown spot. That is absolutely true. So, plus, I think that's also complicated a little bit by that that apartment building being constructed across the way. Yeah, just it, a little. It bit. doesn't help parking or anything else in there, but it's an abundant life. There's lots of room. It's it's uh, it's safe. It's outdoor. It's distance. It's all the good things. And you can get your fresh fruits and veggies, which is a big plus. And to quote the song, I'll be there. There we go. I mean, that's you should go anyway, to be honest. <laughs> 
All right, let's talk a little bit, Jason, just a few minutes before we get to uh, what I think is a pretty cool interview for this week. But a few minutes, let's talk about the election results. Jason, we've seen this a couple of times recently, but this election was decided by just a handful of people. There were two seats available on the LSR7 Board of Education. Incumbent Ryan Murdoch was the top vote getter for one of those seats to come back. And then the other open seat, which was vacated by Julie Doan, who did not run for re-election, was taken by Roderick Sparks. And he won, Jason. Are you ready for this? He won that seat by 76 votes. Okay, so let's let's do some math. All right, so we we did a quick number. You know how to excite the audience. <laughs> yes, I know. There were about sixty two hundred people who voted uh, within the district out of a, a, a registered number of registered voters. It's over sixty thousand. So in Jackson County, the turnout was ten and a half percent. Kansas City and Cass, who both contain portions of the R seven school district, uh, don't report their turnout numbers in that way. But ten and a half percent, and it's probably worse than that overall. Uh, that's it's that's not, not great. good. That's not great, people. So, but what I'm saying is, out of fifty four thousand people who could have voted in this election and didn't, seventy six votes made the difference in this election. So, if you didn't vote, I don't think you have. I mean, you get to complain because it's your right as a person, but you you know you need to moderate your complaints about what's happening in the next year or so on the school board. Because you literally could have made a difference. You could have rounded up, like, I mean, most of us have 76 Facebook friends. We could probably have rounded up some votes and, and gone and done it that way. So just putting that out there, these elections are close. This is the second time in, what, three or four years? That we, we, had had a, a, we had a council election that was decided by four votes. Right. So Just a the, couple of election cycles ago. These things matter. We bang on this all the time. I will say the 10.5% did exceed my extremely pessimistic estimation of about 9% turnout. Um, I figured between the pandemic and fatigue and it being on just, it felt like a completely random Tuesday, um, even though it was the actual traditional vote time for municipal elections in Missouri. You know, it did do better than that, but, you know, 10% is not good enough, folks. Well, you know, we, st we started this podcast, Jason, back in 2016, and the premise was really you can affect more change right in your backyard than you can anywhere else. So this is the best place to get involved, to show up and vote. And so we will continue to 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 bang on bang on that drum. Um, you know, decisions are made by people that show up. That's one of my favorite lines, yep. and I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep harping on it. So, all right, let's that. move on. Let's move on a little bit. The other the other thing that was on our local ballot was the was the municipal question about the tax levy. It was asking voters, "Hey, do you mind if we move money around?" Well, that's not what it's read like at first. That's, that's for sure. not what. It, and, and here's why I was pleasantly surprised by the passage of, uh, of that because of the, the state rules about elections. It's worded very strangely, and it makes it sound like they were asking for a tax hike, but they weren't. Right. And so if you only read the, the question was in two paragraphs, uh, interesting the way they put that. And it's like, you know, as required by the state statute, right, they had to say, uh, can we raise your taxes for the general levy, general operating levy? And then they had to follow it up with a another one. But we're keeping it the same because we're just moving it from one thing to another. And if you were just reading it, if you hadn't read in advance and you were just reading that, and you may have been, as I think many people in Lee Summit are, sort of reflexively anti-tax raising, 
um, you could easily have voted against that, even though it would not have had a net impact on your property tax levy, uh, win or lose. It just has an effect on where the money gets organized, I guess, as, as a thing goes. So um, that's a result of a, a, well, now very old piece of uh, state constitutional. And that was early 90s, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it's the Hancock Amendment, which requires anything that even seems vaguely like a tax increase, maybe sort of, to go to a vote. And it does a bunch of other limiting things as well. But it essentially requires um, votes for things like this, which strikes me as might you know best be served within the uh, administrative uh, capacity of a city to make small tweaks to its comparative tax rates when the overall levy rate does not change. But Hancock Amendment is what it is, and it has been this way for 20 plus, I, almost 30 years now. I, I am pro um, make things easy for voters to understand. Yeah, that'd be a good thing, too. So, <laughs> uh, as it turns I mean, out, look, look your, your yay or nay vote can be whatever you want it to be, but let's just, let's just not try to confuse people. I mean, your 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 voodoo talk is is not welcome in these parts, Nick Parker. All right, I'm going to wrap up the election talk. Election season is over, Jason. Woo! One no last bit of commentary from me. Go vote next time. Uh, That's it. I'm done. Yeah, do that. But here's the deal. Jason, we've got a conversation today. It has absolutely nothing to do with the election. This was fun. I've got a new podcasting friend in town. And we've got Sharon Newman Edwards with us. She's going to talk to us a little bit about a podcast she has in the true crime category. And we're going to go to that right now. We're here with Sharon Newman Edwards, the host of the Justice Delayed podcast. Sharon, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Ah, we are good, and we're so happy. I'm going to say this. After weeks and weeks and weeks of school board coverage, we're so happy to be talking to somebody who's not involved with a school board election in Lee Summit. So thank you for coming on our podcast <laughs> and saving us from yet another uh, another interview talking about uh, all the awful things that happen, all the all the stuff that we're not talking about. That's We're going to take a break from those words. We're going to take a break. Weeks. We're going to do some new words. Maybe some I'm just happy to have words. another another podcasting friend in town. That's really, that's that, that excites me. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I don't know. We're going to talk about murder, I guess. So I'm apparently- well, honestly, that sounds way happier than, <laughs> yeah, than, than, uh, than bond, bond rates or any of the other things. We could talk about tax about. levies. Yeah, or we can talk about murder. We can talk about murder. Let's Which, talk honestly, about murder. I think if we talk long enough about tax levies, people will want to commit murder. So there we go. So Sharon, <laughs> I guess we'll start with this. Tell us about your podcast. You you run this uh, Justice Delayed podcast. Tell us about it. Okay, so uh, Justice Delayed, the season one is about the unsolved homicide of Jennifer Servo. She was a 22-year-old young woman who moved from Montana down to Abilene, Texas. Uh, this was in 2002. She uh, had just graduated college. She was um, getting her first job as an on-air TV reporter. And within 61 days of moving to this new town, she was murdered in her apartment. Uh, she was bludgeoned and strangled. And it's still unsolved today. It's been over 18 years since that happened. What what hooked you in that you felt like you you know you wanted to tell this story? Um, 
I lived in Texas at the time. I lived in San Antonio and I was looking for a story that I could tell that was close enough to me geographically that I could uh, go and see the layout, kind of um, do interviews, meet people, get a feel for just what had happened as opposed to just kind of trying to look everything up online. I really wanted to tell an in-depth story that I felt needed to be told in terms of something that, that needed some action, you know, needed solving, frankly. So it's, um, were you specifically looking kind of at, at crime stories and that kind of thing? Is that, is that what you were, what you were looking for? I was, I had, um, I, you know, I had listened to serial, the podcast. I was crazy about that as, you know, millions and millions and millions of people were, but I had also attended a conference that um, summer before I started this podcast. And I saw other people who were relatively, um, maybe I was gonna say inexperienced, and that's probably the right word. People who weren't trained investigators, people who weren't um, policemen doing investigations, and they were doing good work. And I was amazed by it, and I was in awe of it. And I thought to myself, you know, I, I can probably do something similar. You know, and so I very naively jumped in, you know, head first, I guess, and just kind of went for it. So I'm I'm doing it now, still four years later. So, do you have? I mean, do you have a background in any of that stuff? As as you know, in in law enforcement, as a reporter, maybe, or even as a writer, did you have anything that you leaned on, or was it just I'm jumping in and doing it? Uh, well, I was a pretty good writer in college. I am a paralegal by training, um, but I mostly worked personal injury law. So I I know attorneys who are criminal defense attorneys, uh, but I, I really didn't have any experience in it. I just had been interested in true crime pretty much my whole life. You know, I was really interested in these cases that weren't getting solved and missing persons, wrongful convictions, uh, you know, later on. And so I was just really interested in a story like this and it was it kind of just showed up on my radar and i contacted the family and asked them if they would um, allow me to look into the case of of their daughter and they said yes so i just took off from there <laughs> so you you took you took from san antonio and went to abilene texas mm -hmm. which like all trips between cities in texas is not like you know, it's not like one suburb to the next. It's a it's a bit of a jaunt, but within Texas, I think within Texas measurements, it's a pretty short trip. So, what what did you find like as you started that? Like the first time you went to Abilene, what what did you start doing, and then figure out like, I guess once you started doing something, what was something you figured out you were doing wrong, or you needed to sort of like start doing when you were there. Um, well, when I first went there, I, I went to the relevant locations. There are two uh, main persons of interest in this case. Um, I went to their apartment, their former apartments. Um, I went to her work. I went to the last place that um, she was documented to have been seen, which was, was at Walmart. I went to her apartment uh, just to kind of get the layout and to find out how, how far apart these places were. Um, so I wanted to get that feeling, but I, I think I thought I was going to do like the kind of the drive time scenario that Serial made so famous that was so, you know, it was riveting. And I can tell you that when I did it, it, it was 
problematic from the beginning. You know, I had trouble with my audio. I it kind of my video turned off in the middle. Um, it was not at all like edge of your seat kind of programming. And so I realized I was going to have to come up with a better way for me. I mean, it was so effective in serial, but for me, I needed to come up with a way to really get people to connect with this story. And I think that's what I really figured out is I need people to connect with their, with their hearts. I need them to get involved. What were you, what did you start looking for then? Because I, at that point, I'm going to assume that you, you know, that's where you really dug into a lot of research and stuff. So what, what were you looking for as that kind of, or what stood out to you as that hook that you, when you realized you could get people to, to care? Um, I think that who Jennifer Servo was as a person was quite extraordinary. Um, she really had goals in her life and she was making them happen. She had joined the Army Reserves when she was 17 years old because she wanted to help pay for her college. She, um, you know, was very strong and determined and she, you know, did well in school. She had kind of this great career path set up. She was going to Abilene. She knew it was a stepping stone. She wanted um, to just keep growing her career. And like so many times happens, I think, is maybe we get involved with the wrong person who we don't recognize is the wrong person, um, but they turn out to be someone that absolutely derails us. And I, I think it kind of felt like this story that that I could recognize and I think a lot of people can recognize is we're going along with all these you know great things going for us and then something kind of happens and everything changes from there. What uh, I, I'm curious about this and doing this style of thing. I have a news background, so to me, interviewing people and that that that's what comes naturally to me. But I'm I'm curious about what all the work you've had to do to put this this story together. I mean, it's more than just it's more than just interviews. Yeah, it's it's a lot of research. It's a lot of um, I, I go places and take photos and video, trying to recreate for my listener. Via my website, I post videos and, and things, uh, these sites, so that they can get a feel for them. Um, I've, you know, gotten stopped for trespassing. I've had the police called for trespassing. I never got arrested, but I, I just, you know, you kind of find yourself in these funny situations where all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is not really how I pictured this going. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I was a little worried. I'm thinking, well, trespassing, I can still probably get a law degree someday if I have a trespassing charge, but I'd still rather not have one. So you can you ask know. forgiveness later. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it's, it's stressful. It's a lot of um, things that you just never thought you would find yourself doing. Um, I've talked to neighbors. I, I have, um, there's a, a, there's a biker that I, got caught kind of spying on, which became very awkward because he did not seem very happy about that. Um, so there's just a lot of kind of this investigative part of it that I frankly didn't know how to do. And I have kind of stepped in some situations that I, I, I would do it differently in the future, but I learned a lot. <laughs> what, uh, what, what, what's a good tip? Somebody who says they want to do this and, and getting into investigation. What's a, what's a good thing you've learned that you would share with um, others? 
don't spy on bikers. Don't just approach <laughs> them directly. They prefer the direct approach. Yeah, because they, they think you're there for other reasons. They have no idea you're there about an unsolved homicide that, frankly, he has nothing to do with. You don't consider him a suspect. You just think he might have known a guy who knew a guy. But he's going to think you're there for some other reason. And, uh, yeah, it's going to get awkward quick. <laughs> what do you think you uh, – I guess – I guess a better a better way to way, way to say this is you know you when we started this this conversation you said it's still an unsolved case. So do you think you made headway over the course of that season where you where you were looking into this? Did you did you get anywhere? Do you feel like you you got something out of it? I feel like I know the case so much better than I could have ever figured it out through news articles. Um, they, there were a lot of conflicting news articles which in the beginning I couldn't tell if it was just, you know, uh, maybe a different turn of phrase that's used by a reporter who's trying to sound, you know, more interesting than the last story they did. Um, I couldn't tell if it was maybe a mistake that was made, um, misspeaking by the person who was being interviewed. There just, there were so many conflicts in stories, direct opposite things from the same person. And I couldn't tell if it was just a mistake or if they truly were changing their story. And I think now I've been able to figure out some of that. And I've been able to talk to some profilers about the case. I've had the autopsy analyzed. So I feel like I know a lot more about the case. And I feel like I am kind of coming to the end of this arc because I don't know how much more can happen without a tip. So now my focus is how do I get this even wider and to the right people? Have, have some of those doors opened up the more that you've worked on it on the project? Yeah, they have. I've had um, a lot of uh, the reporters that were working on the case from the beginning have started to reach back, respond to me in the beginning. They, they weren't interested. And I understood that I never expected a lot of, um, you know, kind of, help from those people. They, they're in a different profession and podcasting doesn't always get um, their respect, especially when it's someone who's kind of inexperienced at it. But I'm starting to get that kind of a response back now and it really helps. What is, what's the reaction been? How has it been dealing with, with like law enforcement officials? How do they feel about, about a podcaster asking questions and asking for files and, and, you know, doing your Freedom of Information Act filings? <laughs> yeah, they're not crazy about that. Um, specifically in Abilene, they are not a fan of mine. Um, the police department doesn't want to participate in any way. Um, you know, there are a lot of podcasts where the police do participate and share with podcasters or, you know, enlist their help. But this is not that case. <laughs> so, which I think is kind of odd. This is the only unsolved homicide on the Abilene Crime Stoppers website. Um, I find that hard to believe that this is the only unsolved homicide in the last 18 years, but it's the only one listed. And I would think that they would want help kind of wherever they could get it because what this case needs is a tip. It needs somebody who knows something, somebody who heard something back at the time, someone who has heard someone make a, a comment in, you know, in the years since it, it really needs someone who saw something odd or heard something that night to speak up. And so that's, that's the main focus right now is we need a tip in this case. 
I think the other relationship I'm curious about is is with the the family and the you know the people in her circle. You know, a, a, as a reporter, I've I've covered some murder cases. I've 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 interviewed people and families after tragic events like that, but I've never gone back 15 years later, 20 years later, right? And and had them ask them to revisit what's what's that been like yeah i mean are do you, are you have you gotten good at making it not awkward because it seems like that would be an incredibly awkward. awkward moment yeah it's 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 never not awkward it's always awkward i was gonna say the same thing it's never not awkward it's always difficult i always worry about what i'm gonna say um just in the sense of i i want to be you know sensitive to what they're going through because for them it just it's like it was yesterday it just brings it right back up and um yeah it's tough it's tough to ask some of those hard questions um but i do and sometimes i i offer to kind of write the questions down and send them to them so that they can uh kind of do it on their own time so that they don't feel um on the spot i um I did an interview um, over Zoom, I think, with Jennifer's sister a couple of months ago. And, you know, she was tear teary at one point. And it, it just always feels so awful. I, I think to myself, you know, Sharon, are you doing the right thing here? Because it's tough making being the cause of, of bringing that up again for her. But I also know that they really want this murder solved. And, you know, they assure me it's worth it to them, you know. To, to go through it again and to, to talk about it because they really want to find out what happened. I think you'll find that, that those interviews though, those calls that really helps your skill, builds your skill set as an interviewer. You'll get better because those are so hard. Yeah. I mean, it just, I, I, you know, I, I keep thinking about what Jason said, it, you know, are you better at making it not awkward? It's always awkward. Yeah. It's always uncomfortable to ask people to dredge up those things has have you developed relationships with them do you feel like you're you know you're you've got a relationship with with the family members yeah what's that like it's you know i feel really honored that they trust me and that they are willing to to let me in and um you know it it feels really great it really does it feels like um like I'm doing, I'm doing it right, even though I'm I'm kind of making making it up as making it up as I go along. I I do feel like I'm doing at least something right, so it's encouraging to me. So you mentioned you mentioned earlier that this is that this arc that you, you you've been on, and I mean it's been almost four years of mm -hmm. of of time that you've been producing podcasts, let alone however long you've been working on the, working on this matter is coming at least to a a steady spot where there's no, you don't have any more information to gather um, and, and bring forth. So what's next for you at this point? Are you, are you looking now that you're in the greater metropolitan Kansas city area? Are you looking around these parts for, I mean, it sounds like this just sounds terribly dark here. We were like, are you looking for a new murder? Um, <laughs> but are, I mean, is that, is this something that you want to do um, going on or is there something particular about the, the Serbo case that, that really that grabbed you and, and, and where you are with that? I am looking at local cases here. I, there's a wrongful conviction that at least a, a conviction that I believe is wrongful um, from the 1970s a man that's still in prison. I'm working on that. I'm corresponding with him in prison. Um, 
I'm waiting for his attorneys to give me the go ahead on whether or not I can uh, talk about that one. But I'm I'm looking at that. I have a a whole uh, kind of a death row letter writing campaign that I'm 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 really interested in how death row works and and how it affects people. Um, I'm anti death penalty. I'm I mean I'm I came from Texas. We have it there. You know I mean I'm I'm not upset that we have it here, but I, I don't believe in it personally. And so I kind of want to know what that does to people and how just what that does to your psyche as opposed to a life sentence. Um, I'm also looking into, there's a missing persons case out of Prairie Village, Kansas, just across the border. And I'm, I'm seeing, I'm looking into what I can do to help there as well. So I'm looking at local cases to see what I can do to help. What's the what's the the timeline? So you, you you find one that you're interested in, you find a story you want to tell, and you want to want to research. How long does it take you to really ramp up before you're ready to start actually posting episodes? Or are you really just kind of is it does it become a journal of where you're at each step of the way? I think it should probably. If I wanted to be completely ready, I would like to have six months to ramp up. But I usually get so interested in the case and so ready to tell the story that I just jump in and tell the story. And, you know, we just, <laughs> <I hear you. laughs> and then it's just kind of my journey through that story. And, and although it's not about me, it is about kind of how, how I'm figuring things out and what I can figure out to tell, tell listeners. And I, I think I would prefer it if I could hold myself back and wait, but I, I don't seem to be able to. I, I feel like these cases need immediate attention. And as soon as I have the go ahead to talk about them, I start talking about them because it it matters to me. And I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. So well, I, would say, I totally I, feel you on that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you, you talked about how you, you, you listened to serial and I, I did as well, but uh, that, that moment, where even though it was very, it, it was very clearly post-produced a lot of the, but you could see the host's personal journey on like, you know, I believed this and I didn't believe that. And then what I thought happened changed. And like with all this information to carry you through that, it's really hard to put off that journey and then try to reproduce it on the backside. So I, right. I, I can't blame you for just like, no, I have to say these things <laughs> and, and get it out there. Well, and there's, look, there is even bad stories. There is an excitement that comes with, I have a story to tell. I found this good story. I, 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 I get that. And sometimes you feel a little bit guilty too. Cause you're like, I'm excited to tell this horrible, horrible story. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ask this question because as, as a podcast host and a producer, I get this one a lot. Um, Sharon, are, are you getting rich off podcasting? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I just burst everyone's bubble. Nick's been lying to us for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't do this to get rich. I know some people, you know, are making money doing it, but I am not one of those people. Um, you know, the I, ones who are getting rich off podcasting, they were already rich. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, I mean, some great places like Dateline and, and some other really great uh, broadcasting companies are doing fantastic podcasts, but um, these independent ones, yeah, they're, they're more of a labor of love. <laughs> They are, but I believe also the the authentic content is is really really good, and you're not getting that other places. Yeah, I'm a fan of that personally, but you know, I wanted to, <laughs> you can be biased. We we appreciate that bias here. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I wanted to ask you too. Uh, you are you are kind of getting involved in another thing that's relatively new. Jason is kind of out of this because he's an Android guy, and they're just weird. He's also look. You were trained as a paralegal. Jason's a recovering attorney, so we don't like him anyway. <laughs> I have even less criminal law experience than you do. I was a bankruptcy lawyer, so you know, just uh, about as far away as you can get. So I'm I'm right there with you on that, on that particular front. So, but yes, yeah, so go talk about this iOS thing. I'll I'll be over here in my yeah, little Android go to, bubble. go go to your corner. <laughs> in our in our emails before before we as we were setting this show up, you you said mentioned that you were going to host a, a conversation on Clubhouse. Which which is a relatively new, still in beta social media thing. It's only on iOS. I've played in it like two days, so I don't know a ton. What are you doing there? Talk, talk about anything, everything. I mean, you pick a room that has a topic that you like, and then you just go into the room and you decide if you want. You can participate. Um, whoever's moderating it can you know, you raise your hand, you can speak. And then it's just kind of like being on a big party line, frankly. Um, you know, I mean, I don't really remember party lines, but I know that <laughs> I know what they are. And I heard someone say that this is like a big party line. And it is, you know, everybody just listens in and somebody chimes in when they feel like they have something to say. And yeah, it's interesting. I've had a lot of great conversations on there. So. so what are what is the conversation that you will be hosting? And I know that is that that is Wednesday, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tomorrow. So um, Beth Karras, who was a Court TV senior reporter, and um, she covered a lot of those kind of big trials at Court TV. Um, you know, kind of back in the day, like O.J. Simpson, Scott Peterson, Casey Anthony, uh, Conrad Murray. She covered uh, just a ton of cases that we all know. And um, she's going to be talking this time about the Casey Anthony trial. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Scott Peterson. So it, it's just a conversation about that. Um, listeners come into the room and, and she just kind of talks and they ask questions. So it's a live Q&A about her experiences covering these really big trials that so many of us remember from, you know, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. I, I what, just, time, my, what time is that again? Yeah, what time is that? That's a good It's question. at 5 o'clock. So 5 p.m. Wednesday, April 6th, which for seventh. those listening, or April okay. 7th, that's today. April 7th is today. Yeah, as this releases, this is today. <laughs> now, here's, here's my question, too, about Clubhouse, because I'm still not really into it. Are those recorded? Can you go to, like, can you listen to, can you re-listen? No, they're one time only be there or miss out. Um, some people do record them and you can record them. You have to let people know and then you can just record them. You can re-release them as podcasts um, or whatever, I guess, you want to do with them. But uh, we're not recording these. I'm just, we're doing these kind of one-time only limited series with Beth Karras. Um, I'm hoping to do at least one more after this, but um, with her schedule, I'm not sure we'll be able to. But um, yeah, these are kind of, you you make it or you don't. Well, that's that's cool. That's, I, I'm very curious. I'm going to have to check it out as I as I continue to learn about about Clubhouse. Well, in your uh, continued quest to podcast to achieve podcast glory, <laughs> other than a new a new case coming up soon for Justice Delayed, uh, what what's next? What are the things you're looking forward to doing? I have a very close friend named Carrie Max Cook who was wrongfully convicted also in the 1970s of uh, capital murder. He spent 20 years on Texas death row. He 
ended up after 20 years on death row. He had been tried uh, three times already. Twice he was uh, convicted and sent back to death row. Once was a hung jury. Uh, the fourth time they were going to try him, he took an Alford plea just to get out of jail because they were literally trying to kill him. So he uh, he took the Alford plea, but he's still in court trying to fight for his legal exoneration. And so he and I are doing a podcast. He famously, or um, yeah, I guess I'm not everyone knows about it, but he was represented by the Innocence Project in 2016 on his actual innocence claim, and he fired them because of a disagreement about um, how things were going. And so he hasn't spoken a lot publicly since then. So he's now going to speak out and he and I are, we're good friends. So I'm gonna host it, he's gonna be the star and we're gonna talk about what happened there and what he's still doing to fight for his, his legal exoneration. That is that sounds really interesting, really riveting story. I think for people people to listen to. Will that be part of the Justice Delayed podcast, or are you going to set up a, a different brand? It's it's separate. It's under the Chasing Justice brand, which is his brand. Um, he has a book called Chasing Justice. Um, okay. So it's uh, I can't remember the full title, but it's um, my fight for. Oh, now I'm going to butcher it. So, but after. 20 years on Texas death row. So he's, he's, uh, we're doing it under the chasing justice kind of moniker. So you are, you are the Sharon Edwards brand is going to be all over the internet. We have, you'll be on clubhouse. You've got your yeah. own, you've got on somebody else's broadcast. You're just everywhere you can be. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of branching out. There's, um, I've also been contacted by a woman whose sister was a victim of a domestic violence homicide that the police have ruled a suicide. And so we're kind of also with her, I'm exploring ideas of how, what do we do with, you know, how do we handle domestic violence homicide when it's, it's can so often look like suicide or be made to look like suicide. And what do we do when, you know, the police don't listen to us and, how do we handle that? Because, you know, there's not a lot you can do when the police aren't, aren't wanting to, to reinvestigate a case. And so we're, we're looking at what can we do with that kind of a topic as well? Cause I think that's an important topic um, to talk about. So, so we're, we're working on that as well. That sounds like a lot of, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. 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 You have but, a very full plate, Sharon. But, but good work and, and, and good, good stories i think that 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 need to be told told and so I, i'm glad that you're you are taking up that mantle and, and and taking on the work sharon newman edwards thank you so much welcome to lee summit i know it's been a little while but yeah. but it's nice to meet you welcome and thank you for for coming on to the town hall podcast and talking to us a little bit about your podcast justice delayed and you will be on clubhouse tomorrow or today wednesday at five o'clock on clubhouse we appreciate yep. it. We will the talk. The club is True Crime Rabbit Hole. So you have to search for the club, True Crime True, Rabbit Hole. True Crime Rabbit Hole. And that's where you'll find it. So. Well, that will wrap us up for this episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast. We will talk to everybody next time. <laughs>